each and every one of you to this, this church gathered at Forest Baptist. So grateful to see you, all of our guests. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for supporting those who baptism was today. That's what worship is all about, right? That we are seeing the work of God in the lives of his people. Before, it's so good to be with you this, this Sunday morning. Uh, just a quick update on me. Um, things, things are going well. If, if there's a such thing as the best of a bad situation, the Lord has allowed that. Um, when I ruptured my Achilles, it, it, was, it was not a, a full rupture, so it's actually good news. Um, so I do have surgery planned for Tuesday. They're going to go in and just suture it back up, go in the morning, get out that, that, that early afternoon. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for how you have cared for me and for our family as well. And I'm telling someone, I got a whole lot of mamas at the church. A whole lot of folk been telling me what to do lately. But I'm going to listen because I know you love me. <laughs> Amen. I love being a part of Forest Baptist Church. A family of families that Lord has drawn together for such a time as this. Amen. Well, beloved, this morning we look at the seventh beatitude in our study. In this study, the blessings of being Christian. The seventh beatitude this morning. So if you will, turn with me back to Matthew, the fifth chapter. And we'll be looking at verse 9 by itself. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 9. And if you would, in honor of the reading of God's word, please stand. And the word of God simply reads, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. May the Lord bless you to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag upon the text this morning. The blessings of being Christian. Be calm. Be calm. Father, thank you for how you have loved us. And how you have demonstrated your love for us through Christ Jesus. Father, truly every breath that we breathe is a demonstration of your grace and your love. But Father, when we were in our sins, you could have took us out. Father, before there was even any chance of salvation, you could have took it, taken us out. But Lord, you have mercy on us because you are a patient God. Every single breath we breathe is a demonstration of your mercy and your grace. So, Father, thank you for allowing us to gather once again in corporate worship as we lift up our hearts and our, and our minds unto you right now. Father, I ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, that we would recognize your presence, and we would surrender unto you, that you would do awesome and mighty works in and through our lives this day. Father, please, please, help us to not do church anymore, but help us to have a genuine and sincere faith 
a simple love for you, and that will be reflected in all that we think, say, and do. So, Father, we ask that you would come and that your Shekinah glory will rock us, shake us, make us uncomfortable being complacent, and give us that burning desire to pursue you with reckless abandonment because your grace pursued us. It was your reckless love that laid hold to our hearts that we just say thank you. So Father, as I preach your word to your people, may you take my foolish and weak words and use them for your glory, your maximum glory. And I ask, Lord, that you would indeed humble us that we may receive your word in a way that is not just a suggestion, but these are commandments. And this is what it means to be a Christian. Father, I don't care what nobody else says or how to be Christian. Jesus, it's coming from your mouth about how we should be Christian. Father, may we no longer rely upon tradition, but may we rely upon you and your words and your desires. And you say, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who ain't causing all kind of chaos and confusion. Those who ain't lying. Those who ain't stabbing folks in the back. You, you say your people are peacemakers. Father, I'm just going to take you at your word. Ask that you would be with us this morning that you will speak, that we will listen. We do love you and thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, beloved, in Mark, the fourth chapter, it's just one of those stories about Christ. That's just, that's just amazing. In Mark, the fourth chapter, Jesus has just finished teaching and and he and his disciples load up into a boat, and they're headed to the other side of the sea. And as you are, uh, many of you are familiar with the story, as they are crossing the sea, a storm comes upon them out of nowhere, and it begins to rock the boat. The, the waves become, start crashing in over the sides of the boat. They begin to take on water, and the disciples are losing their mind. They're, they're, they're afraid that, that they're about to go down with the ship. So someone has a bright idea. Hey, why don't you go get Jesus? I'm sure he knows what to do. They go get Jesus. They find him asleep in the boat. And as Jesus gets up and comes, he just says, peace, be still. And at the command of his voice, the crashing waves and the winds began to stop immediately. All the chaos and all the confusion comes to an end at the declaration of Jesus saying, peace, be still. This storm-tossed sea, this quote-unquote inanimate object, even that has to obey the voice of Jesus. Peace, 
be still. And Jesus' instructions in the text before us is the same type of peacemaking because Jesus wants his disciples to be peacemakers in the world, in this storm-tossed world full of chaos and confusion. Jesus has left his people to step up and step out and to proclaim with, with Holy Spirit authority, peace, be still. Jesus wants us to continue to reflect his glory in creation and to take upon us the mantle of being the peacemakers just as he is in Mark 4. Jesus wants his, his beloved, he, his disciples. Now, I'm only talking about followers of Jesus. I can't expect an unbeliever to be a peacemaker. But if you profess to know the name of Jesus, if, if you tell me you say then I expect you to be a peacemaker. There's something about you that should just say, peace, be still. Because Jesus wants us to, to be his first responders in the world. You know what a first responder are. Those folks who are the first on the scene of a, of a tragic accident or a, 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 a crazy shooting or something. I remember doing a Super Bowl. I was watching the commercials, and one commercial came on, and it was, it was talking about an a, a NFL coach who had... It got into an accident, and he was inside a, a fire station, and he, and he was thanking those first responders uh, for doing what they do. At the moment, he didn't know that the same police and firefighters and EMS folks who were in the room were the very same ones who rescued him. So yeah, he starts off by saying, uh, if it wasn't for first responders, I wouldn't be here today. If it wasn't for those who came into my tragic and broken situation, I would not be alive today. And then one by one, they say, sir, we were the first people on the scene. We were the ones who got you out of that wreck. We were the ones that put you in the ambulance. And he began to weep because he, he, he said, I never thought I would see the people who saved my life. Beloved, Jesus wants his disciples to be first responders. Where there is chaos, confusion, and conflict, Jesus wants the people of God to be the first people to run into danger. He wants us to, to be like, like the firefighters who see a fire, and if they know someone is in the house uh, at risk of dying because of the fire, they don't wait for somebody else to do something about it. They run headlong into the danger in order to rescue a soul. Beloved, in the same way, we, Christians, we're first responders. There's a hell approaching. There's condemnation and fire coming. For those who have not, now I ain't talking about folks that just go to church. I'm talking about folks who don't know Jesus are headed headlong, headlong into a hell. And they need first responders to rescue them. Jesus wants us to be like the SWAT. When they arrive upon the scene, the SWAT team, they, they go straight into the, the, the danger. Behind doors that conceal, they don't have no idea what they're getting into, but they go anyway. Beloved, if, if we're going to be Christians who are going to be peacemakers, sometimes we have to get into some stuff that we don't know what's behind those doors. If we're going to be obedient to God's call. Don't, don't, don't keep asking me, well, what does that entail? 
Well, what do you really need? Why are you calling? Sometimes we just got to show up and allow God to use us for his purposes, to be peacemakers. Jesus wants his disciples to be lifesavers. He wants his disciples to run towards dangers. Christians are called to be peacemakers, conciliators, those who bring together that which is broken. When Jesus called you to himself, he, he placed within you his Holy Spirit. And, and when we surrender to the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, uh, Christians have the ability to bring calm to conflict and chaos when we surrender to the Holy Spirit. See, but that's the problem, isn't it? That's not always the case. Instead of being peacemakers, Christians at times can be peacebreakers, succumbing to the ways of this world, just out of habit, out of routine, because everybody else act like this, we begin to act like this. You just got to be tough because everybody else got to be tough. You got to talk like that because everybody else talk like that. And you have to flex up on everybody else because they flex up on you. And, and all of a sudden, Christians begin to act out the very thing that God wants us to stamp out. He wants us to be brokers of peace. Instead of being peacemakers, we can be peacebreakers when we live lives that are that is full of unforgiveness. I don't care if you say sorry. I don't forgive you. Peacebreakers because of our bitterness. Because somebody wronged you way back when, you still hold it against them now. You see them coming, you turn the other way. You see them coming, you whisper under your breath, I can't stand this fool. Oh, get on my nerves. Peace breakers because instead of Squashing gossip, we keep up the gossip. Peace breakers. Peace breakers because instead of being edifying and uplifting, Ephesians 4 and 5, we turn to be insulting and damaging, calling people names. Because they've hurt us, we want to hurt them. Peace breakers because we ain't got time to be patient. Because of our in. It, it, uh, our impatience, we don't seek peace. Beloved, I'm just going to keep it real. Christians, we're still human. We're still human and we still sin. See, but the difference is when you've experienced the peace that Jesus brings to your life, it makes it a whole lot easier for you to demonstrate that same peace to somebody else. If you ain't walking around with that peace that surpasses all understanding in your own heart, then you're not going to be peaceful towards anyone else who comes up against you. You're going to continue to be rude. You're going to continue to, to roll your eyes and, and, and talk about people behind their back and hold grudges and, and not be unified, all because uh, uh, you haven't truly experienced the peace that Jesus has for you. 
You know, it's harder to hold a grudge than just to let it go. Just like it's harder to frown than to smile. Are you a peacemaker or a peace breaker? Christians, we should have a, a, a calmness to ourselves. We should have a calmness in ourselves and we should have a calming effect everywhere we go. When we step into a situation, folks shouldn't be saying, oh no, here they come. Folks should be saying, I praise God that I've seen you. Beloved, to be Christian means to be calm. Folks can't be scared to talk to you and you be Christian. They always got an attitude. Why are they always mad? My bad, I ain't, talk, I ain't talking about this church. Not this church. The world should be able to see and seek out Christians in order to bring peace to the chaos and the foolishness that we have going on today. Instead of stirring up controversy, Christians should be crushing controversy. And as we look to Jesus and his word this morning, understand peacemaking is most concerned with, with a word that we've studied before. This word shalom. This Hebrew word from the, from the Old Testament, shalom. That word means peace in the Hebrew. But it's not just a peace that that means that uh, I don't have any problems today. In the Old Testament, the word shalom has a, a meaning in the context of completeness, wholeness, this sense of, of, of well-being, this, this harmony rather than strife and discord in all aspects of life. That's what it means to have shalom. So shalom is more than the absence of war or strife. It is the feeling of peace. Not only is shalom concerned with taking away the drama, it is concerned with bringing forth that which brings peace. So think about this in terms of salvation. Jesus not only removes sin, but he fills you with righteousness. See, on Calvary's cross, he, he takes your sin and he takes my sin and he crushes it through his blood. But because he suffered in our place, he took our sin and he crushes it. But beloved, when he woke up on the third day with all power in his hand, he placed within your bank account a deposit of righteousness. He didn't just take away sin, but he gave us the righteousness that is required to see God. That's what shalom means. That's why shalom is always talked about in the sense of salvation. Uh, are you at shalom with God? Do you really have peace with God? Jesus is the prince of peace. He is the prince of shalom. So peacemakers not only remove, but peacemakers give. So if I could, if I could give you a, a, a modern analogy, if if you're a man in here, we already know, uh, men, we like to be fixers. We like to fix the situation. If you come to us and tell us something wrong, we're going to want to fix it. That's just how we make. We, we want to fix stuff. We don't naturally want to sit and talk about it. 
We want to fix it. What's wrong? What I need to do? Who I need to call? But what I have found after almost 15 years of marriage, to be a real peacemaker, it ain't about me fixing anything. To be a peacemaker, sometimes I just need to sit and listen. Though there's an issue, my wife don't really want me to fix the issue. She just want me to act like I care about it. She wants me to, to lend an ear in order that her issue may be resolved. Beloved, peacemaking is the same way because as peacemakers, we ain't called to fix everything in this world, but we're called to have a listening ear in order to support and help all those in need. See, don't get it twisted. We ain't as strong as we think we are. And we can't fix every situation and we can't fix every circumstance. That's going to be a lot of times where we're just going to have to sit back, listen, and pray about it. That's the posture of a peacemaker. But a peacemaker is a person who, who actively works to bring peace and reconciliation where there is hatred and enmity, division, two warring factions, enmity. A peacemaker is one who works for peace. A person who restores peace between people. A peacemaker is someone who seeks reconciliation in the midst of conflict. That's hard, isn't it? To come in the middle of an argument, and instead of saying, don't put me in the middle, I don't want to be bothered with all that. To actually come to the situation and say, how can I help? What do you need me to do? But peacemaking, what I don't want you to confuse it with, peacemaking doesn't mean appeasement. Because appeasement is saying anything in order just to have some type of peace. Appeasement is, I'm going to keep using my crutches because I don't want people fussing at me. That's appeasement. <laughs> appeasement in your house is I ain't really trying to fix the issue. I'm just tired of arguing. So I go to my room and you go to your room. True peace means true relief. True peace in my situation is having surgery and taking the next four weeks to heal so I can get around without crutches. That's peace. Wholeness. Completeness. See, in doing premarital counseling, so often I warn the young couples, don't find yourself in a marriage where you actually don't love one another. you just roommates in the same house. That's not peace. That's appeasement. You just go along to get along. But beloved, when we look at the text of Scripture, even from Jesus' example in Mark 4, peacemakers are truth tellers. I like the text in Mark 4. 
you know, I, I, I didn't notice it before, but when this message of peace was on my mind, as I was looking at Jesus' demonstration of bringing peace, he says, peace be still. But if you back up to the beginning of verse 39 in the, chapter four, uh, the fourth chapter of Mark, it says, and, and he awoke and rebuked the wind. Wait a minute. A rebuke comes when somebody got something wrong. And a rebuke is telling truth in a wrong situation. So Jesus is getting up, and he's like reminded of when. Don't you know who's on this boat? You, 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 you got it twisted now. You're doing too much out there. You shouldn't be trying to knock over this boat when the Son of God is laying in the midst. And he gets up, and he reminds the wind. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know you're supposed to be helping us move along the, 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 the sea? You ain't trying to tip us over. So he rebukes the wind with truth. I am the son of God, and you better obey me. Peace, be still. When, when, as Christians, when we step into situations, we got to tell the truth and not lie all the time trying to fix it. We got to tell the truth and be peacemakers. You know what that means? To actually bring peace in some of our situations, we're going to have to speak a word of rebuke. We're going to have to tell some folks, you wrong. You wrong. I love you, but you're wrong. You can keep on going down this path of life. You can keep on banging your head against the wall. You can keep on not being able to pay your bills. You can keep on uh, running out of gas. You can keep on losing jobs. You can keep on losing dates. You can keep on losing, losing, losing. But I'm just going to tell you the truth. You need to trust Jesus and stop trying to live for yourself. That's a rebuke. That ain't evil and mean. We, when we hear rebuke, we think you got to be smart with somebody. You know, you got to shake your head and then not tell. No, I just you shouldn't be doing that. I'm praying for you. Now you know you tried that last time. Where did it get you? I'm just trying to speak truth into your life. Don't you know the Lord will see you through? You trying to hustle and bustle and fix it and scheme? Don't you know the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord and he will open up a window of heaven and pour out a blessing more uh, uh, that you don't even have room to receive? I'm just trying to tell you, you trying to get your homeboys to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, but I know a good shepherd who will walk with you through the valley of the shadow. I'm just trying to tell you. That's a rebuke. Because... This subject of peacemaking is so wide. We, I was looking at this and trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to attack it because it's so wide? I mean, we could talk about world peace. We could talk about the government. We could talk about all those peace breakers in the government. I'm like, we, we, we could go so many different places. But I thought what would be most helpful today, uh, I, I pray this is the, what I discern from the Holy Spirit, is I just want to focus on one aspect of peacemaking this morning. And I want us to be calm by pursuing relational peace. Just relational peace. Getting along with folks. And I thought we could start there because all of us at some point in time has had some type of interpersonal strife. That's just a fancy way of saying you fell out with somebody before. Have you ever fell out with a friend? Have you ever fell out with a loved one? 
Have you ever fell out with a family member? You just ain't talking no more. At some point in our life, we've always all experienced the hurt and the pain that comes with falling out with somebody, losing a friend, losing a best friend because of some silly argument, because of something that happened years ago. Both of y'all don't forget what it is, but y'all just know y'all still mad at one another. <laughs> Beloved, when you think about the world, so much could be achieved in this world if people just live peaceably with one another. This is what God commands in Romans 12. I ain't making this up. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 16 through 18, the text of Scripture says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Don't be prideful, thinking you right all the time in the conversation. Are you always right? Oh, boy, if you always right, then you sure got it wrong. Don't be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Watch this. Reply no evil for evil. Wait, wait a minute, Jesus. You actually said if somebody tried to cuss me out, and I'm saved, I ain't supposed to cuss them out back. Jesus, you mean that if somebody talking about my mama, and I'm saved, I can't talk about their mama. Reply no evil for evil, but give thought, <laughs> but give thinking. Jesus saying, think before you speak. He says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on, Jesus says these words, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm looking at it. I'm like, I'm the pastor. And I'm studying, I'm like, Lord, you like for real. You do mean that if I obey you and love you, there's going to, to, be, there's going to be something so different about my life that people are going to ask me, why ain't you mad? Didn't you hear me tell you what they said about you? Why ain't you mad? Because my identity is held fast in Christ. It only matters what God thinks about me. And because the text of Scripture says I'm the apple of his eye, that I, I am more than a conqueror, that I am his beloved, because of that, I, I can trust him over what people say. Because my, 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 my Bible tells me that your word's going to pass away. But Isaiah 40 and 8 says, the grass withers and the flowers may fade, but the word of my God will stand forever. So the only words that really matter is the words that's going to be here from, from A to Z. The, the only words that's going to be there from the beginning to the end. And those words come out of the mouth of the Alpha and the Omega. 
our most high God. But in order for us to have this relational peace that Jesus is talking about here, we, we have to understand some things. We have to come to some type of understanding. You know how you talk to people. We, we need to come to an understanding. But we need to understand what Jesus wants us to do. And the first thing he wants us to know, we need to understand conflict between people isn't new. The conflict that you go through on a, on a daily basis, it, it ain't new. As a matter of fact, we see the first genuine conflict between two people in Genesis 4, between Cain and Abel. Abel had a, a nice offering to give to the Lord. He had something sweet he wanted to give to the Lord. But Cain, for whatever reason, he didn't give an acceptable offering to God. So God, so God gave favor to Abel and not to Cain. You know what kind of argument this was? It ain't fair. He got one and I didn't get one. That's human nature, isn't it? Cain was jealous of his brother, and he murders his own brother. He murders his own blood. This is the first conflict we see in the Bible. And then from generation to generation to generation, we see in chaos and conflict between people just continue on. We see wars. We see all kind of brutality. We see wickedness. We see 49 people tragically murdered in a synagogue because of conflict as the result of sin. Because sin has entered into our hearts. Conflict has come as a result. Beloved, we live in a fallen world. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner we can begin to deal with this conflict that's even in our own hearts. But then secondly, we need to understand where conflict comes from. Where does conflict come from? Does it come because, does it just show up one day? It feel like it doesn't. But actually, conflict doesn't come from the outside. Conflict comes from the inside. James, the fourth chapter, verses 1 and 2, reminds us that what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why y'all always arguing? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covenant and cannot, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James is revealing to us the reason why we fight is because we want stuff and people won't give it to us. I want my way. I want this house. I want this car. I want my house to look a certain way. I want to dress a certain way. I want, I want, I want. And when we don't get what we want, we lash out. That comes from our sinful hearts. Jesus says this, and we talked about it last week, Mark the 7th chapter, verses 21 and 22. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, Adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. Beloved, chaos and conflict comes out of your heart, not their heart. When you're in an argument with anybody, you can look back at yourself and figure out what you did wrong. How you said that, how you handled it. Conflict comes from my own heart. 
And the reason why conflict comes from our own heart is because conflict is a form of idolatry. And in, in, his, in his book, Peacemakers, Ken Sandy, he, he lays out, I, 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 I forgot the book in my office. I meant to bring it out and show you. It's an excellent book. It's called The Peacemakers by Ken Sandy. But in his book, he lays out this argument of the pattern of idolatry in our hearts and how we get to the point of an argument. So I, so I, so I took his case study and I put it to just a, I took his, his, his words and I put it to a simple case study, something that we might all can uh, 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 imagine. And I put it in, in, in the case study of getting to church on time. That's a good desire, right? We want to get on church on time. That's a good thing, right? Okay. So what he says is, conflict always starts with a desire. Some type of want, some type of some need that, 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 that your heart has a desire for. And that desire, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It, it, it's not like a desire for drugs and, and, and for uh, sexual sin. It's, it's, it's not a bad desire. But you take something like, I want to get on church on time. That is a good desire. But what happens, you move from I desire to I demand. When your desire is not met, then uh, a, a deeper issue begins to happen in our heart. And the more we want something, the more we think we need it and the more we think we deserve it. Oh, I want to be on time today. Don't you know it's 9 o'clock prayer? I need to be at prayer. Don't you know I'm teaching today? I'm teaching Sunday school. I got to be there. Don't you know, pastor, preacher, I, I, I got to be on church on time. So I start demanding Everybody, come on, speed up, let's go, get in the car, let's go. I, I begin to demand, we got to hurry up. I, I ain't in nobody's business, I'm just trying to, this is, we can all relate. Don't think because you told me, your, I ain't talking your business. Because this, this happens in my house. With me, not even Sister Red, it's me. So you move from I desire to I demand. I want it to happen now. And, and, and that's where the sin begins to take place because I latch on to it and I'm not willing to let it go until I get what I want. And if I still don't get what I want, I move from I desire, I demand to I judge. That's when we fail, uh, when our desires uh, aren't satisfied, we begin to criticize and condemn the folks that are keeping us from what we want in our hearts. That's when you start talking to yourself. Don't they know? I told them five times I got to be at church. Why, why are they just being stupid today? I just, hey, you begin to condemn them. You're, you're judging them. You're saying they're wrong because they're not giving you what you want. You move from I desire to I demand to I judge to finally you. To I punish. Now because I'm not getting what I want, I'm going to punish you. We punish people with our words. We punish people with our hands. So angry, I can punch the wall right now. We punish people with our looks. Beloved, I punish people with my silence. I just won't talk to you. 
An idol is anything you're willing to pursue and willing to sin in order to get it. Beloved, our hearts ain't no joke. This ain't a game. Conflict is a form of idolatry because we're not getting what we want, so I lash out. And if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to lash out even more. Only Jesus can soften that kind of heart. Only Jesus could come in and, sh- and, and lift up the mirror of your soul to yourself and show you how ugly and nasty you've been at that moment. Only the conviction of the Holy Spirit can come up and, and say, you, now you know you're wrong for that. But then, beloved, this, this is where it gets even deeper. That fire is already in us. So if the fires of conflict already burn within our hearts, then our tongues are the flamethrowers of life. Woo! Sometimes we walk around just firing up everybody. (laughs) Oh, you want some too? Remember, Jesus teaches that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The reason why you say what you say and act like you act is because it's in your heart. Turn with me right quick to James, the third chapter. James, the third chapter, beginning with verse 1. And he starts off, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, great, with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So he's talking about now uh, something so small is able to control your whole body. And then he goes into verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever uh, the will of the pilot directs them. He's talking about these big freighters. They're, they're, you turn the, the small rudder and it, and it begins to turn the whole ship. So then in verse 5 he says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Woo! James is helping us to understand that your mouth can get you in a whole lot of trouble. And it's your mouth that causes a lot of issues in the world. But Jesus gives us some insight on what to do. How do we deal with this? Well, the first thing, we want to be calm by being silent. Be calm by being silent. That old adage. If you ain't got nothing good to say, then don't say nothing at all. Sometimes when, when you begin to get upset and, and you begin to, uh, to fall into sin, 
Sometimes the best thing for you to do is to not say nothing. Just shut your mouth. Just let it go. You ain't, you ain't got to tell them six times what they did wrong. Just let it go. Be silent. Be calm by being silent. The Lord fights on your behalf, and he knows what go, what's going on, so he's able to fight your battle for you before you can even get a word out, Lord, fight my battle. So there's, there's sometimes where you just need to be silent, but then the second thing, uh, be calm by being still. Because when we're upset about something, we want to get busy. We, we, we want to instantly fix it. We want to instantly uh, do something about it. But what happens a lot of times when we get busy trying to do it in our own strength, we begin to spread forest fires. We take the fire from one place to the next place because we're not still. Get somewhere and sit down. Don't, don't start texting. I was doing my study. I, I was doing my study, and one of the reasons I brought up gossip is I, 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 wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking this way. But in the study, it was saying that be it, you, you can't be a peacemaker and be a gossip. Because if you know somebody is talking about your friend, and you pick up that fire, and you take it to your friend's house, what have you just done? You just spread the fire to their house. One of the best ways to cut down on chaos and confusion is to stop telling other people what people said about them. Be still. Be calm by being still. You ain't got to fix everything. Allow the Lord to fight your battles. But then thirdly, be calm by being sympathetic. Be silent, be still. Be sympathetic. And that means, that just basically means have compassion. Have compassion on, on, on another sinner. It just so happened you got it right today, and they got it wrong. Tomorrow, when, when the tables are flipped, they're going to have it right, and you're going to have it wrong, and you're going to want compassion. You're going to want somebody to say, it's okay, I'll take care of it. But let it happen to you. You're going off. Be compassionate. Jesus demonstrates compassion in a world where he should have took us all out. In a world because of our filth and our sin and our wickedness, we have been giving God the middle finger since our birth, but he doesn't come down and smite us. He came down and sacrificed himself for us as a demonstration of his love. Be compassionate. What would this world be like if more folks were just compassionate? Beloved, for us to become instruments of peace, we have to get over ourselves and give over to Jesus. Jesus truly has to be the Lord of our lives. And for us to become instruments of peace, we have to believe in the gospel, nothing but the gospel, and the whole gospel. 
we have to believe that Jesus came for sinners, not just like you, but just like me. And at the foot of Calvary's cross, we all stand equally guilty. And just because I got a right today, it's only by God's grace and mercy will I get a right tomorrow. And I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I fall upon the mercy of God, and I say, Lord, you keep me, and you help me, you lead me, and you guide me. Because uh, when on Calvary's cross, you have already showed us that you have taken away the worst things that has been said about me, has already been crucified. And now I've been bought back. I've been redeemed. I've been reconciled. I've been transformed. I've, I am being sanctified and I will be glorified. That's the gospel. That a man named Jesus stopped by your way and brought you to him for the forgiveness of sins. Beloved, we need to understand that there can be no horizontal peace until there's vertical peace. Scripture is clear that we're born enemies of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. We deserve to be eternally separated because we are sinners, because, because uh, we don't have peace with God. The wrath of God remains on those who have not trusted Christ. God is going to pour his wrath on you instead of Instead of looking at his son in your place, there's no shalom between you and God when your sin has not been dealt with. John 4.4. 4. Well, actually, James 4.4. 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Because you just have so much fun in the world, because you just love your parties and you love hanging out and you love talking like that and you love walking like that, and because you want to be just like everyone else, God says you are his enemy. You have no shalom. You have no peace. Christians make peace relationally, but we also make peace eternally. Christians, we are peacemakers because we share the hope of the gospel with a lost and dying world. The best way you can make peace in someone's life is by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if they don't know God as their Lord, as their Father, then they will be separated. They're at war. So this is where it talks about in, in the last portion of that scripture, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Understand, we belong to the family of God when we make peace. This, 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 this phrase, sons of God, what it's representing is those who are like their father, those who have, uh, who have the lineage and the same behavior of their father. We become peacemakers when we take on the same mantle as Jesus Christ, our brother. When we are peacemakers, we reflect the character of our Father, sons of God. My prayer is one day people will look at Nate and they will see his integrity and they will see character and they will see a love for Christ. 
And they would say something like, you look just like your daddy. Beloved, when people look, like, look at you on the job, can they say, you look like your daddy? Can they say because of your patience, because of your behavior, because of your speech, you look like your father in heaven? If they can't say that about you, then you are a peace breaker and not a peacemaker. But if it can be said about you, that you are full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, then you do look like your father, and you will be called the sons of God. Beloved, Ephesians 2.14 is clear. It says, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus has come to bring shalom. We can be peacemakers because Christ is a sin breaker. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we may be the righteousness of God. Beloved, this world is passing away. And I ask you, just like I ask people at a funeral, have you made peace with God? We need peace with others, but most of all, we need peace with God. Do you have peace with God today? The only way you can have peace with God today is if you look to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for the righteousness that comes through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Repent of your sin and trust Jesus by faith today, and you would have shalom. And you would truly be called a peacemaker. Let us pray. Lord, you are phenomenal. You are incredible. And I thank you that you are called the God of peace. For you have sent Christ Jesus to bring peace for those who were at war with you, those who were your enemies. But Father, here today, there are some who are peace breakers. And Father, I ask that you would have mercy on them, that you would open up their blind eyes and open up their deaf ears to the truth of who Jesus Christ is and their need for him for salvation. They are lost and don't even know it. Father, I pray that you would make it apparent. And Father, for your children, ask that we would reflect the Father by being genuine sons of God. Father, help us to pursue relational peace by crucifying our hearts every single day. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege to break forth the bread of life with your people. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.